Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, good day, and welcome to the X's and O's with Greg Cosell, the guy over there in the swaggy NFL Films hoodie, which I want one, please. Um, I did the top 10 stuff like a decade ago, and they sent me a couple of NFL Films t-shirts and just wore them out. So Greg's got the NFL Films swag, and Greg, we're ready to talk week 18, the last regular season week of the 2023 NFL season, now that it's 2024. And Greg, 20 teams remain in Super Bowl contention. Uh, five playoff bursts remain unclaimed, the most entering the final week since there were seven. Wow, I didn't even realize that. See, that's, and, yeah, that's and, something I don't take that note of, but that's okay. Four division crowns are still undecided, the most entering a season finale since there were also four in 2014. But before we get into, like, the teams that are playing for the most right now, I wanted to look at the two uh, defending Super Bowl teams, Chiefs and the Eagles. And if you were to, Dr. Greg Cosell, yeah. put a pathway through for either team to get back to the Super Bowl, and I don't even know if it's possible right now, but if you were to do so, I want to start with uh, Chiefs Chargers. Now, the Chiefs have already clinched the AFC West. Um, I have little faith in the Chiefs' ability to create a functional passing game in time for the postseason, but... I mean, honestly, and I told you this yesterday on the phone, I think it'd be a 6-10 and 10 team without Steve Spagnuolo. And I want to get into, and you, I know we've both watched these, these plays, the Bengals' final drive in that 25-17 to 17 Chiefs win, there was a five-play sequence, 50 clock seconds, 5-0, where the Chiefs had four sacks, two by Justin Reed, the safety, one by George Karloffis, and one by Chris Jones. So, um, And he, Spagnuolo alternated between cover two and two man on the four sacks, which was smart because that's kind of been Jake Browning's kryptonite, so to speak. But I know you've watched those plays and just give us a larger sense of how Spagnolo is and, and always has been so versatile with his blitzes and his pressures and how like on the Chris Jones sack, he had two guys and, and Browning said this after the game. It's like, they're spying me a lot, which is weird. It felt weird to Browning uh, that Chris Jones sack, they had Bolton and Reed drop into not coverage, but sort of a spy look just your overall sense of what you saw from those four Spagnolo designed sacks. Well, it's just interesting before we do that, that what you just said about the Chiefs and you believe that the, you're not sure they can have a functional offense. Think about that for a minute. They have I a know. quarterback who many would say is a Hall of Famer right now based on his career. And, yep. and uh, you know, you just said that not flippantly, but oh. it's a sort of a statement of of kind of truth at this point in the season. We're not sure what their offense really is. I mean, this past week, and then one thing I learned from many people over the years is teams normally get try to get back on track offensively running the ball. And, and we saw the Chiefs try to do that this past week with Isaac Pacheco. Um, and he, boy, was he good. Um, he's, an angry, he's an angry man when he runs. Oh, God. You know, he reminds me of, and I, uh, I don't know, it, 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 I'm sure people remember this player. He reminds me of Marion Barber, um, the way yes. he runs. Whereas if every run is his, going to be the last run of his career. But when Tyler Algier came out of BYU, that was my comp for him. Yeah, I think that I think I said Isaac. It's not Isaac, but it's Pacheco. Isaiah, uh, yeah. Isaiah, yeah. 
Um, anyway, um, I was thinking of Isaac Sayamalo because I did a piece on the Steelers run game that I, uh, I'll i be narrating. So I, I think that was in my head. Um, anyway, talking about those those five sacks. And by the way, they were not spying on Jake Browning. It was two-man coverage in which the players that the those defenders had stayed into pass protect. So therefore, the players who are playing them man-to-man, they either will add in to the pass rush or they can stay where they are, you know, just to be in position to react to Browning if he were to leave the pocket. But they're not spies. It wasn't a spy tactic. Um, the one that was the most interesting to me was the first read sack that came with just over two minutes remaining because there was a disguise element to that. They lined up initially in single high safety, uh, single high safety look, and they went with late rotation to cover two with Edwards, um, who's normally the dime safety. He was the middle hole defender and McDuffie, the slot corner, became a uh, half field safety along with Connor. They ran essentially with a a four-man zone exchange concept. Reed was a rusher on that play, not part of the underneath coverage. Um, Dana dropped out opposite Reed, so he became an underneath hook defender. But uh, Reed was a rusher. He was the fourth rusher in the four-man zone exchange concept, and he just sidestepped Mixon's block, and he sacked Browning. But that was the one that had disguise and late rotation to it. the next two, uh, the next two, uh, the first one was two-man coverage, and that was a little different concept because what they did there, they showed a six-man pressure front. This was the very next play, by the way, when right. second and five became third and twelve. Um, the very next play, so they went with a two-man coverage concept. But the but what was really interesting about this is they actually had Karloftis from his wide nine alignment to the boundary. He was matched on the back in coverage, and Reed was a blitzer. He -hmm. blitzed outside of Karloftis from the boundary, so he was a blitzer. He was not a coverage player, and it was a five-man pressure scheme. Um, You know, so it was kind of a a, a two-man, but not, you know, it was – they were kind of fudging it a little bit because obviously yeah. you can't play pure two man um, in, in with five man pressure, but it was, it was kind of a cool thing the way they sort of, you know, had Karloftis drop out as a pure coverage defender and Reed as a blitzer, but uh, Browning had no defined throw within timing and, and Reed ran him down with help from Bolton who then added in as a green dogger because the, the way the, the, um, the Bengals played it is they actually had the running back and the tight end offset next to Browning because they wanted to protect. My favorite part of that play was how Reed threw the running back out of the way. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. And then of course the 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 final two were more individual plays. I mean, um they had cover two on the Karloftis sack, but he beat the left tackle Brown off the edge. And then the final one was just a Jones sack. You know, they went two man that's probably where Browning thought they were spying, but they weren't spying. Bolton okay. was matched on the back, Reed on the tight end. Both stayed into block, but Jones from his three-technique techni- alignment beat the left guard Volson so quick that yep. Browning had no chance. Yeah, uh, and the Karlaftis sack, that was the backside of the pocket. And with Orlando Brown, that's always been kind of where the problem area is. Last yeah, Orlando half- Brown's not a great one-on-one pass protector. Never really yeah. has been. We know he always wanted to play left tackle. That's why he had left the uh, Ravens to go to the Chiefs. Um, but uh, now he's obviously with the Bengals, but uh, he's not a great pass protector one-on-one. I think when the Chiefs got him, I uh, I went back and looked at all the sacks he'd given up, and all seven of them 
uh, at that point were the back half of the pocket. So that's the thing. But uh, anyway, so if the Chiefs are going to get there, it's going to be on the strength of their defense. And, as, and the run game, maybe. You know, I mean, yeah. again, you know, I think many of us or many people expect that when the playoffs start that, you know, the pass game and Mahomes will, because the track record and and what he's done in the past is so strong that all of a sudden it's going to click. Um, no one can answer that one way or the other. But up to this point, um, it hasn't happened. You know, so, you know, based on what we've seen, there's nothing this year that strongly suggests that because I, I assume they're not going to play this week, you know, or or if they do, they'll play a series. But uh, then when they get to the playoffs, that all of a sudden the pass game will be brilliant. Maybe it will be. We, you know, Mahomes certainly, like you know, like we said, the track record is is outstanding. But this has been a tough year. Well, when you have Marcus Valdez Scantley running mesh, and he's like com- openly physically complaining to Mahomes after a, a drop in which it's like six inches past the numbers. I don't know. I have my doubts. Anyway, uh, Eagles at Giants. Basically, the Eagles win the NFC East if they win and the Cowboys lose to the Commanders. There are some tie scenarios. Basically, you know, the Eagles. Right. It's going to be one or the other, yeah. Um, And (laughs) I'm just going to leave it to you, Greg. The Eagles run defense against the Cardinals. And, you know, it's something you have often said. Coaches will tell you what they think of their players or other players by what they do. I was, I mean, even against the Eagles' five-man fronts, the Cardinals were sending one and two offensive linemen upfield to the second and third level. So they 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 were looking at Eagles tape thinking and Drew Petzing, their first year OC, who I like a lot, saying, you know, we can run these polls and just gash them and, and not worry about it. And that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, look, the bottom line is run game, if you're struggling in the run game, it's not usually profound, Doug. It's not no. complex. Um, it's because your D-line's not controlling the point of attack uh, and they're getting moved, which is happening to the Eagles. It's because your second-level players are struggling with gap integrity, which often is the result of your first-level defenders getting moved <laughs> um, and then missed tackles. It's really three things. It's not it, It's not some magic thing here that occurs when a team can't stop the run particularly well. And you know, that's happened with the Eagles uh, a little more recently. Um, you know, I don't know whether the um, just a longer season has impacted players, but, you know, Jordan Davis has played more snaps this year than my guess is they wanted him to. Um, or if they wanted him to, he's showing that it's been a bit of a struggle given the number of snaps he's playing. Uh, yeah. Jalen Carter has not been as good recently as he was earlier in the season. Maybe yeah. the long season is getting to him. He's never played this much. And even at Georgia, where they have so many five stars, he did not play 60 snaps a game at Georgia. So, yeah. you know, it's very possible that just the long season is wearing them out. Um, you know, we've d- discussed this before. that They've not been able to rush the quarterback uh, at all this year. Uh, and I think that was totally unexpected, you know. Coming off last year when they led the NFL in sacks by a wide margin, had more third down sacks than any team in the league. This year, they've not been able to rush the quarterback. Um, well, a couple, yeah, ba- a couple of things. Uh, their 22.8% pressure rate this year is really middle of the pack. Last season, their pressure rate of 25.5% was the NFL's second best behind the Cowboys. What was it last year? What was the number? Uh, 22, uh, 25.5. 22.8 right. this year. Last season, they had 32 third down sacks. This season, they have 12. Right. That's a big deal. Yep. And, and the thing is, their secondary can't handle the lack of a pass rush because, quite frankly, their secondary isn't very good. Um, and that's an issue. Um, you know, so, again, it's not being sarcastic or funny, but 
pass defense really comes down to two things. It's your ability to rush the quarterback and your ability to cover. They don't do either one particularly well. And when you can't rush the quarterback, the second one really becomes exacerbated. There's an, there's an SAT word for you. Exacerbated. exacerbated. Yeah. That's, well, the other thing that I picked up, and the linebackers have been an issue all year. How many times the Cardinals ran outside and there's no contain out there? Everyone's running inside like it, it yeah, seems so like I mean, look, you can always talk about guys missing assignments and all, you know, yeah. that's all part of it, too. You know, as yeah. I said, you know, players not playing with the proper gap integrity and doing what they should do. But, you know, when all said and done, if your first level defensive linemen are getting moved, um, you're going to have a hard time stopping the run. Yeah. Real quick. Have you seen uh, some design changes since Matt Patricia took over to the uh, benefit or detriment of the defense? Um, well, first of all, they play a ton more dime. Dime has become kind of their third down package, which wasn't necessarily the case under Sean Desai. So this is something obviously Matt Patricia believes in that he wants to play dime as, as a third down package. Um, so that's there. Um, as far as coverage, they've jumped back and forth in, in the games that he's coached. So again, that could be part of the Belichick approach that each game is, is a different game and your opponent specific. Um, because you know, they've, they played man, uh, high percentage man. They've played high percentage zone. They've kind of jumped back and forth. So it's 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 hard to know exactly you know how he sees playing coverage with this particular group. But but the secondary is a problem. I mean they they have no speed in the secondary. You know, and again, not that we're going to spend time talking about the Giants and the. But I will say this: the one thing that stood out with the Giants this past week against the Rams is with Tyrod Taylor, they actually looked like they had a professional passing game. There were intermediate and vertical route concepts, which there really weren't very many when Devito was the quarterback. And they've got two receivers who can run, and that does present a concern for the Eagles because Slayton and and Hyatt can run. Tyrod has always been a guy with a interesting deep ball. It's not always perfect, but when it's on, it's on. So that that can be a thing too. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's get into the uh, the big games. Texans at Colts. They are playing for the AFC South. Uh, I've been threatening all year to talk about the Colts defense, so now I'm just going to do it. Uh, they rank 18th in defensive DVA, but they got some guys on that side of the ball. Indianapolis ranks 5th in the league with 49 sacks. They rank 2nd in the league behind the Vikings with 14 forced fumbles. Deo, I'm apologizing in advance, Odeyingbo has 12 mm-hmm. sacks and 29 total pressures. Samson Ebukam has 10 sacks and 47 total pressures. He's an interesting player who frequently lines up right over the tackle or the tackle's inside shoulder. He had three sacks against the Patriots in Week 10, and nobody in New England's interior offense line wanted anything to do with him. His, his third sack came on a TE stunt with defensive tackle Eric Johnson, another guy no one's talking about, where he, he pushed center James Andrews. This is uh, Odangbo, by the way. Uh, center James Andrews right into Mac Jones. Uh, Xavier Franklin, 128 tackles, 54 stops. EJ Speed, who made Shaq Leonard sort of fungible this season in Indianapolis, has 76 tackles and 43 stops. Julian Julian Blackman has played really, really well this season. And they've got uh, two, I believe, rookie corners in Juju Brents and Jalen Jones, a seventh-round rookie and a second-round rookie. Yep. It's, it's an up-and-down defense because they have so many young players, but – you can see, and, it, and it's like this predominant cover three defense because it's Gus Bradley. But when they're on, they're really interesting. Well, what's interesting about them is they're totally different on first and second down and then third down because they are not a blitz team at all, basically, uh, on first and second down. But on right. third down, their blitz percentage goes up significantly, you know, significantly. And that's that, you know, 
I know it's Gus Bradley, and you know we we know we all have a sense of what we think Gus Bradley is. But you know sometimes coaches change as well, and mm-hmm. and um, you know he you don't necessarily think about him as a blitz guy. But on third down, their blitz percentage is closer to being among the league leaders than it is to being among the bottom. Whereas on first and second down, their blitz percentage is near the bottom. They hardly ever blitz. So in in a sense, there's two different defenses that they play. It's what you get on first and second down and then what you get on third down. And um, so, you know, and they've got some good players. I mean, Buckner's a really good player inside. Um, You know, EJ Speed, you mentioned EJ Speed. I noticed him a year or so ago. Um, He's only maybe a third-year player. And and every time he played linebacker, which wasn't many snaps prior to this year, um, you know, I'd say, God, this guy, I notice him. And clearly he made Shaq Leonard expendable, and Leonard's had a good year. And if I'm not mistaken, Franklin, who last year became a really good player. He, be- he, blew, think- up a- he blew up in my tape study last year. Yeah, and I think he leads the NFL in tackles, and he's one of those players that every time you watch them, he's, he's there. He's a really good player, plays every snap. Yep, and those tackle stats can be, especially with linebackers, can be misleading because you know, right. you a lot of tackles by just being in our, you know, like – missing somebody misses something and you're just sort of in the way uh that's not him no he's a really good player so um and it's interesting they're doing this playing with two rookie corners that they're willing to blitz and again yeah. blitzing there's so many ways to blitz people automatically think blitz man coverage that's not necessarily the case oh no um so yeah they faced cj stroud in week two that was kind of the after Stroud faced Baltimore in the first game. That's not going to be easy. Uh, yeah, I remember watching Stroud week two. It's funny. It was a long time ago. But I remember watching him. That was the game where I said to myself, oh, this guy's pretty interesting. That was, remember- that was a raised eyebrow game for everybody. Like, uh, 30, completed 30 of 47 passes for 384 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He was back against the Titans uh, last week after missing two games with a concussion. He had a 21-yard pass to Nico Collins in that game. We'll put it up where he just dotted the ball on an outcut past Elijah Molden and Sean Murphy Bunting. And my favorite part of this was you could see Murphy Bunting jumping up and down in frustration after the catch, which is what Stroud can do to you with his ball plays. Like we were on this guy and he just went bang, right? Which, you know, we've seen Stroud do that all season. So very interesting uh, series of matchups there. Yeah. I, but I just, the point I was going to make is I remember watching Stroud, um, in that game week two, and again, you know, it was a long time ago, but I, that was the game where I thought, oh, wow, he's making some some timing and anticipation throws and seeing coverage that, you know, again, he's he w- it was in his second game as a pro. You don't know this stuff until you see it in the NFL because NFL defenses are totally different than college defenses with very, very few exceptions. So, you know, I'm thinking, God, he's – He's seeing coverage rotation. He's he's reacting to it instantaneously. That was the game where I said, "Oh, okay. I think this guy could be a really good player." Um, we got a guy. Yeah, uh, I thought this past week, you know, with his first game back, their their pass game approach was kind of streamlined. Um, yeah. I thought they wanted him to, you know, get comfortable again after missing two games. But obviously, he's, you know, he's had a phenomenal season. Yeah, it wasn't explosive. It didn't have to be except for that 21-yard play. And I will put it up just so you can watch Sean Murphy Bunting have a temper tantrum after that. (laughs) What are you going to do? Sometimes you tip your hat and move on. Well, that's the way it works in the NFL. Yep. Rams at 49ers. Niners have the NFC's one seed, so I have no idea who they're going to play. The Rams. Not many. Not many. The Rams are guaranteed a wild card berth. And, Greg, another defense we have not talked about, the Rams defense. You might not be aware of uh, interior defensive lineman Kobe Turner from Wake Forest, who was one of my kind of just standout guys in this draft process. 
You should be pretty soon when the Rams hit the playoffs, which they will do. And let's throw Byron Young into the discussion. You talked Byron Young up something fierce this summer. Uh, Young and Turner have 46 and 45 pressures this season, respectively, which ranks third and fourth among all rookie defenders in the NFL. Will Anderson Jr. of the Texans is one. Uh, Tui, Tui Pelotu of the Chargers, another guy I really like, our first and second. Turner is a 6'3", 288-pound player with really nasty hands, great leverage. Reminds me a bit of Geno Atkins, who was also a mid-round pick. Right. And uh, Young has really nice range. He'll get to the quarterback in space. Uh, Turner leads all rookies with 11 sacks. He has more quarterback disruptions than Jalen Carter. Now, that's like 100 more snaps, but still. Ernest Jones also might be one of the best linebackers no one's talked about over the last two seasons. So... When we get into, you know, we've talked about the Rams offense. I want to get more into their run game pretty soon. Certainly the passing attack, we know what that is. But this Rams defense, corner's a little light. You know, linebacker might be at safety, I don't know. But that they will get after people. They they have 117 total pressure since week 10, tied with the Buccaneers for eighth best in the league. So that's coming. It's 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 advancing. Yeah, no, Turner's a guy that's that stood out from the beginning of the season, and he's very effective with TT stunts with Aaron yeah. Donald, um, you know, where Turner can be both the penetrator and the looper. Um, you know, he's uh, he has some dominant pass rush snaps when he's one-on-one. He's yeah. got really light feet. He's got great quickness. Um, he's stood out right from the beginning of this season. Um, you mentioned Byron Young, a player I really like coming out yeah. of the University of Tennessee. He was a kind of soft favorite, I think. He was. I really did like his tape. Um, and seeing him at the combine, the way he moved, his flexibility, the way he he bent, you know, I really I, I liked him. Um, but the other player I think is that's really worth mentioning just because there's a uniqueness to the way he plays given his size, and that's Michael Heck. Um, I mean, he's one of the most important players on this defense. He's probably close to 300 pounds, but they use him to be a coverage defender, a significant percentage of his snaps. He's shown awareness to play in zone. He's run with backs out of the backfield. He can rush the quarterback if asked to. Um, He's a really interesting player to me. Now, you mentioned the corners. Um, For the last, oh, I don't know the number of weeks, it's got to be nine or ten, they have played with Witherspoon as their boundary corner. They were playing with Kendrick as the field corner. He seems to have been benched, I guess, for for Kobe Durant, who's now playing, um, you know, the, the the field corner spot. Kendrick does get snaps. Lake is their slot corner. So you know, people see these names and they feel like they're not very good there. And I'm sure teams feel that they can test them. But overall, this defense has played well. You know, I think Raheem Morris. You know, he plays. Uh, you know, one of the thing thing that's interesting about them is they, they're one of the higher percentage, two high safety coverage defenses in the NFL, playing cover two and all the variations of quarters without getting into all the details. There's right. many variations of quarters. Um, now, on third down, they will play a higher percentage of single high. So another, you know, as is the case with a lot of teams, Doug, you get to third down and things are different. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but that's, you know, against <laughs> the 49ers backups. But nonetheless, that Rams defense will be interesting when we get to the playoffs. Uh, Bills at Dolphins are playing for the AFC East. Uh, I wanted to write more about the Dolphins when I watched Dolphins-Ravens, but the Ravens kept pulling me back in. So the few plays I want to discuss. Uh, Tua Vailoa hit Tyreek Hill on a quick 12-yard slant with 13.38 left in the first quarter. Roquan Smith was late to the ball, and he discussed it after the game, how he didn't get over quickly enough to stop it. Dolphins tried that same basic play with 201 left in the second quarter. Smith was all over it. So it's just you know, another one of those. He's a great player, and they're they're just they're so tight with everything. Um 
The second play, and this was what I called the holy bleep throw when we were talking on the phone, because Lamar hit a lot of wide open guys because the Dolphins defense. A lot of wide open guys. Yeah. Uh, It was one of those games. The Dolphins defense had a tough time with just a lot of things in this game. Yeah. But the 35 yard touchdown pass to Isaiah Likely with 132 left in the first half. This was how the Ravens capitalized on Smith's interception. Fourth and seven. And at this point, the Ravens were only up 21 to 13 in a 56 to 19 game. Three by one backside set, and all three of the receivers on the backside were running longer developing crossers where Nelson Aguilar was crossing from the, the right side. Likely was the inside backside crosser, and he caught that pass from Lamar Jackson against a three man front with five man pressure where Lamar had to step up in the pocket, make the throw when Likely could grab it. And again, safety Javon Holland uh, is one of the best safeties, and, and Holland was right on him, and Lamar just made this bang on throw. So that's. You know, that's Lamar this year. That's just the way it's been going. Yeah, I mean, they the Dolphins went cover one behind a five-man pressure. They actually had um, – uh, they they went – Dolphins went with what we call dollar personnel. They had seven D, DBs on the field. So two of the rushers were Needham and the dollar safety Jones. They were part of the pressure. They played cover one. And as you said, Holland was matched on Likely, who ran the crosser from number three to Trips. Um, and, uh, you know – he had to step up because the pressure was front side and he stepped up and he threw a good ball and likely, I mean, he just made a smooth one-handed catch and he had room to run up the sideline. Is that quarterbacky enough for us, Greg? Cause I know that's the word everyone's using for. Yeah. I don't get into that kind of stuff, Doug, yeah, you know, that some, some radio meathead. I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't yeah. get into those kinds of things. Yeah. I like to poke people with sticks once yeah. in a while. Anyway, then, and this is where we get into Miami's defensive performance. Lamar's last two patch, passing touchdowns were on the same concept. T.E. leak where the tight end looks like he's blocking at first. The other receivers are going the other way, and the tight end just leaks out. And both times, it was likely, and then Ricard both had cow pastures around them. So, I, not what you expect from a Vic Fangio defense. Uh, now, we have some I actually, it's funny you say that because the play that I loved – was the Hill 23-yard reception on third and 10 in the third quarter. I thought okay. that was a great concept, a, just a terrific concept by by Monken. Um, and I thought it was just, you know, really, really well done. Uh, we'll go into that real quick and we'll put it up. What did you like about it? Well, it was um, 11 personnel. It was what we call one by three, meaning that the tight end was the single receiver to the boundary. Um, Hill was offset to trips. So that made it four strong. Now, the Dolphins out of nickel went cover one, okay? Um, So they matched Holland on Flowers, who was number three to trips. Um, Now, the Ravens ran a man-beater concept. They had Flowers running the crosser, and they actually had a mesh with Hill coming out of the backfield and with the tight end, Kolar, and they had a zone-beater concept as well on the other side with Dagger. So it depended on what the coverage would be, but the coverage became – cover one man so they went with the man beater and because there was some pressure on Jackson and he had to climb the pocket I personally think he would have thrown the ball to Flowers on the crosser which is a man beater as well um if he if he was clean in the pocket but he had to climb the pocket in response to Chubb's outside pressure and so he then threw to Hill who was part of the mesh people might look at this play and think Hill was a check down Hill was not a check down Hill was actually part of the mesh concept I find it think about that fourth and seven play where the uh, the Dolphins were in dollar personnel. What does that tell you about people's concept of the Ravens' offense at this point? Seven DBs against fourth and seven. They're they're not going to run it. They they trust Lamar. Uh well, I don't know if that's what 
Fangio's thinking, but I think he's also thinking he wants better athletes on the field. What yeah. if he does? What if he does run it? He wants better athletes on the field. Sure. So the immovable force against the resistible object, Greg, Miami's defense, which is now without Bradley Chubb, I believe, in ACL. That's so yeah. Alan Phillips and Bradley Chubb are out. They have other guys who can rush, but yikes. Uh, against the Bills' offense, and Stephon Diggs, Greg, has seen his snap counts cut in half over the last three weeks. Don't know if that's an injury. There's nothing official. Joe Brady, Joe Brady and Sean McDermott are making vague noises about wanting to get other receivers involved. Mm. Uh, I have not watched Buffalo's offense yet, but you mentioned that it kind of looked like a tire fire. What did you see from what they were doing or not doing against the Patriots? Yeah, I mean, I haven't studied that game yet in detail, but, I, you know, I don't think their offense and their pass game has really been that good recently. Um, you know, even with Joe Brady, I, you know, it's funny. We, we have this conversation in, in the matchup room a lot. And you think about the offenses in the NFL pass games that are, are really good. Okay. And, and then you think, why are they really good? It's the route concepts. It's the spacing. It's, you know, and, and you think of teams like the Rams, like the Lions. You know, you just see clean throws for the quarterback. You don't see that very often for the Bills. Now, I, I personally think Josh Allen is a part of this in the sense that he's he tends to leave the pocket too early. And I think he's been doing that more this year. There was a time where I thought, you know, that, okay, he's settling in. He's, he's becoming a quarterback that has the ability to be special off script, but that the, he's going to let the offense work for him. There are times this year I, I just don't feel he's letting the offense work for him as much as he needs to uh, in order to be consistently successful. Um, and, you know, so he's part of that. Uh, so overall, their pass offense has not been that good over the last month or so. I couldn't tell you what the issue is with Diggs. There's no question he hasn't been on the field as much. He certainly hasn't been as productive. Um but I think their pass offense as a whole has not been as productive either. Right. Well, you know, coach speak is McDermott was saying, well, we're kind of resting him and getting other guys involved because we want to be at full strength for the playoffs. I never know what that means. It's well, like, I guess you're going to find out this week because yep. barring anything crazy in a game, you know, again, special teams, touchdowns two are throwing picks early in the game, you know, where they, you know, it's a short field for the bills and they go ahead big. But if it's a normal game, I think it's going to have to be a Josh Allen game. This yep. is not going to be, you know, this is not a James Cook game. This is going to have to be a Josh Allen game. And by that, I don't mean he's going to have to drop back 55 times. But I don't think they can win this game with Josh Allen going 15 for 23 for 152 yards. No. You know, I think there's going to this will have to be a Josh Allen game. Uh, might be a Rasul Douglas game. What a pickup he's been for them, that the cornerback, the veteran cornerback. Yeah, it's a division game, so you know the Bills will have a read for sure on mm-hmm. on uh, that, that Dolphins offense, which, you know, by the way, everybody has a read on it. You know, I, it, it, that that's the thing that always I find intrigued when people think, oh, man, they didn't know. You know, everybody knows. It's yeah. it's it's how they get to what they do and, mm-hmm. and the challenges it presents to a defense. You know, you can't just, like, if somebody motions outside of Tyreek Hill, you can't just say, oh, let's forget about him because they have Tyreek Hill. I think sometimes people think that's what, what defenses should do. Oh, let this guy just run free because – they have Tyree kill. It doesn't work yeah. like that. You know, everybody knows what they do. It just can be hard to stop at times. Other times, you know, teams do make good plays against it. You know, like the the uh, Roquan Smith interception this week was a really good example of how um, uh, Tua dropped back, wanted to throw within timing. And if you notice the play, Doug, if you can visualize it and remember yeah. it, 
He just he paused for a, he just didn't feel comfortable within the timing of the of the drop and the throw to turn it loose. And that fraction of a second allowed Smith to make the pick. If he was able to throw that without that, Smith's not making the pick. But for whatever reason, Tua just didn't feel comfortable turning it loose, you know, in his normal timing. And that allows Smith to make the pick. Those are the kinds of things you have to do, you know, against the um uh, the Dolphins. You have to take away the the pure timing yep. of that of those first window throws, those first window reads. And if you can do that, you have a good chance. Well, that was the uh, when I was talking about Baltimore's off, our defense before. Um, he they had a a twelve yard slant to Hill second pass of the game where Smith didn't get over in time. They rushed four and dropped seven on the interception. I believe they rushed three and dropped eight. And maybe that extra defender. If that's very possible. Gave you know. to it just enough pause, and Roquan Smith got over there that time, but it was pretty much the same play. Yeah, I mean, and, and they're built on that. Those are their throws, you know, and, and, and they hit those, and they'll still hit them. It's not as if you're going to take them away totally uh, because they're really good doing it with, with their their personnel packages, their formations, and their use of motion. As you know, they yeah. they use motion more than any team in the league, and certainly in the pass game more than any team in the league. So, you know, they're not an easy defense tactically to play against, but you know what you have to do. It doesn't mean you're going to stop them on every play. Right. By the way, that Dave, like, get back to the Ravens for a minute. The Zay Flowers 75-yard touchdown. And I know the Ravens have done this before, but the, the that was sp- another problem with motion, and they busted. Yeah. Yeah, they busted a lot on motion. That's a problem. And they had a problem with motion in that game where yep. two guys weren't sure who they should re- respond to. Yeah, it's like, what offense were you guys practicing against again? You should be used to motion by now, but I digress. Um, so, Bears at Packers. Uh, Packers win, they're in. Obviously, the Bears are playing for next year. But Jordan Love, you said something interesting on the phone yesterday. You said that Jordan Love might be the best quarterback in the NFL since week nine. And you asked me to look at one play, and we'll get into that soon because I, I think I see what you meant by, like, holy gosh. Uh, but since week nine, Love has completed 210 of 313 passes, 67.1% for 2,350 yards, 7.5 YPA, 19 touchdowns, three interceptions, and a pass rating of 105.5. He has demolished the blitz. He's reading things really well. Just when you make a bold statement like that, Greg, I have to ask you to just open up and, okay, well, why? Well, I mean, again, I didn't mean it. That, you right? know, see, to me, that's not a bold statement, Doug. No. You know, uh, I, I'm watching tape. I mean, it's not a bold statement at all. He is People who may not have been watching the Packers for whatever reason, like, Jordan Love, what? That's what I mean. Yeah, I mean, he's settled in. And by the way, he is an aggressive mindset thrower, so he uh, is yeah. still going to make some throws. You know, he might throw a bad pick, and then people say, oh, see, he's not great. You know, he's he's an aggressive thrower, which, by right. the way, I believe you have to be in the NFL if you want to be a higher-level quarterback. So, you know, he'll he'll do that. Maybe he'll do it this week. I, I don't know the answer to that. But, but, you know, he's clearly a more comfortable player. He's a high-level traits guy, Doug. I mean – He's close to being, you know, in in that high tier of traits quarterbacks. You know, maybe he's not Josh Allen. Maybe he's not Patrick Mahomes. You know, I certainly don't think he throws it quite like Matthew Stafford, but he's close to high-level traits. So people need to understand how talented this kid is. Um, But anyway, getting to that play, it it ended the third possession. It was the 33-yard touchdown to – Jaden Reed on second and 10, okay? Yep. And it came out of 11 two-by-two. Two. 
And the Vikings were in what they, they're always in, 4-2-5, big nickel. I mean, that's basically their their foundation defense because Metellus plays literally on every snap. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the Vikings showed single high safety pre-snap and then went late rotation to cover two, and it was invert cover two to the field, meaning that the corner became the deep half player. Mekhi Blackman dropped out to be the – Right. Um, Hicks was the middle hole defender, and he opened to the field – behind what we call a zone exchange pressure because Smith was the fourth rusher off the boundary edge and the DN Jones dropped as an underneath hook defender. So they, they, the safety was the fourth rusher. So it wasn't a four D line rush. The safety was the fourth rusher, but it was still a four man rush. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you do this because you're hoping that the quarterback doesn't read it because there's a lot of moving parts right at the snap and you have about half a second to, to see what's going on. Love read the rotation immediately, and he yep. threw a strike to read from the slot to the field running the seam. I mean, that was a big-time read and throw, and, you know, it was a comfortable play. You could tell he was not hurried. He was not frenetic. He saw it. He knew where to go with the football, and the throw itself was big-time. It was very big time. I'll bring this up. Love had Harrison Phillips pushing center Josh Myers into the pocket, and Love made a little yep. hop out of the pressure, righted his body and made that throw with perfect velocity and timing. And it was, it was an off balance, off platform throw. He didn't have his, he had to. You almost jumped in the air. Yeah, I know. I know. It was almost like a Tebow jump pass. He had to make it up as he went along. Well, what he said after the game is, yeah, they kind of disguised it went to a cover two ish coverage. We had four verts on and I knew I was going to have Jay Reed right there kind of didn't see him at first where he was at and then he came into my vision so I just let it out there let him go and get it it was an awesome play and when you're seeing the field that way these complicated things all of a sudden become simple and that's kind yeah of and, and it's funny you know it just shows you you know when you play at such a high level I mean he, he's an NFL quarterback the way he could explain it as if it happened in slow motion and yeah. it, it, it happens at breakneck speed and, yep. you know, he said, well, he did, I didn't see him right away. And then I saw him. I mean, don't forget, he's not sitting there going, oh, oh, I can't see him. Oh, yeah. Oh, there he is. It doesn't happen like that. It happens like that. And, you know, he saw the whole thing because, you know, everything middle closed, which is what the Vikings initially showed with a single high safety look to middle open present two different things to a quarterback. That's the way they're taught. Middle open is one thing. Middle closed is something else. And you have to see that immediately. Right. Well, I mean, he may have been too, because the the Vikings, as we've discussed before, they play the highest rate of cover zero, they play a highest rate of cover two. So he probably, he may have known, like, okay, they're disguising it, but eventually it's going to be MoFo. So and he may know that. We'll and, just, and, yeah. and the other thing too is, is for all the blitzing that the Vikings do, they do not play very much man coverage at all. Right. And you don't want to blitz Jordan Love anyway, because his number's against six or more. Yeah, so he's he's played really really well and like i said he's still a you know a first year player theoretically and and who knows what will happen this sunday they're at yeah. home playing chicago obviously they win they're in it's an interesting matchup you know with love and fields two guys that have been very interesting to sort of track their progress through the course of the season exactly well green bay's defense woof we don't know how that's going to go but the offense is humming and it's something with a lot of like you know they're it's kind of like the you know, it's one of those younger teams, kind of like the Colts defense we talked about, the Rams, you know, with a lot of young guys. There aren't a lot of, I mean, just marquee players here. They're just they're doing well. They're it. playing with, and don't forget, Christian Watson's hurt, so right. they're essentially playing with one sec, two second year receivers, 
uh, Dobbs and Samari Ture, who doesn't get a ton of snaps, but he's a second-year player. And mm-hmm. all the other receivers are rookies, okay? Yeah. I mean, and he's playing with two offensive tackles who are not their, their penciled-in starters when they went to training camp and figured, okay, these are our tackles. They're right. playing with Zach Tom at right tackle, um, and they're playing with Rashad, who's a fourth-round pick, by the way, and they're playing with Rashad Walker out of uh, – uh, Penn State, who's their left tackle. He was a seventh-round pick. And, you know, there's no complaints from anybody about, oh, well, we don't have great tackles. You know, you got to line up and you got to play. Um, finally, Greg, to the Bears. Right now the Bears have the first and tenth picks in the 2024 So should draft. they take a quarterback, Doug? Well, if you're in charge, if you're – I'm making you the Bears GM, Greg. You have a new gig. Uh, do you stick with Fields and build around him, or you do trade Fields for maybe a second or third round pick and avail yourself of your favorite rookie quarterback? I'm not <laughs> saying what do you think the Bears should do. I'm saying what do you think you would do? Ah, it's We had a conversation in my matchup office for 45 minutes last night about the same question. It's, it's a really – uh, the, here's the way I see it, okay? Think of it this way. The Bears have, have played well over the last five, six weeks, okay? Their defense has really come on. Eberflus yes. um, is going to be there. Um, do you want to start over? Now, again, it all depends, and, and I have to do my, my draft work. I watched the, all these quarterbacks this past summer from last year. It all depends on your feeling about the quarterbacks coming out, okay? And Fields, clearly, because if you think that any one of these quarterbacks is, you know, basically in your mind, you have to think that one of these guys is is going to play like a first ballot Hall of Famer soon because the last thing Matt Eberflus wants to do as they've played well down the stretch and Fields has clearly improved is start from scratch, Doug. And, and say what you want about, you know – Caleb Williams, Drake May, whatever, they still are rookie quarterbacks. You're starting from scratch. You know, right. it's easy to say, well, look what C.J. Stroud did. That was surprising. I mean, maybe it wasn't to some, but, you know, I don't think most people thought C.J. Stroud would step right in and be this good this early. May, you right. know, maybe some thought that. You know, I'm sure the Texans will publicly say, yeah, we thought that. No, they didn't. Um, so the point is, Fields is, is, a, is he's one of the most fascinating players because – there's a couple of things that he doesn't do well. And there's other things that are spectacular. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know that he's a dynamic playmaker, whatever that means in people's yeah. minds, you know, what you would still be concerned about is his overall field vision and his capacity to process with the needed speed and, cl- and clarity from the pocket. Um, yep. You know, the term I would use is elimination and isolation. They're not necessarily where they need to be at this point, but then the question becomes, how much of a sliding scale do you feel comfortable with giving his high-level playmaking dimension? He's never going to be Joe Burrow or Drew Brees or Tom Brady, but he makes plays that those guys can't make. Um, you know, and, and he does show flashes of working through progressions and processing. So the question is, can you live with the fact that it's not quite there yet? How much do you feel he can improve? We're not in the building every day. So when you say, what would I do? I would need to be in the building every day to know Justin Fields, the person, how he works, you know, how he sees the game. Um, Because say what you want, he's got big-time talent now. I mean, big-time quarterback talent. He does. Um, And if you – okay, you have the number one pick. If you go with Williams, Drake, whoever, you are – 
passing on. I mean, how many good receivers has he had with the Bears? DJ Moore, pretty much in the, the Panthers trade. You're you're now saying, okay, we don't believe in Justin Fields to the point where we're going to pass up putting DJ Moore and Marvin Harrison Jr. on the field at the same time. Um, so you're yeah. So in addition to how much do you want to just flip the whole script, there's also you know how how much say you stay at one or you move down, you've got just ungod because you you have the first pick and the tenth pick already. Think about what you can turn that into. Um, right. And the, and the defense, you know, again, I think with fields, you you understand that there's certain things you need to go along with fields because unless you think he's going to dramatically improve, there's some inconsistency to his game. So what is it that you need with fields? You need a very good defense. Clearly the, the Bears over the last seven, eight weeks have had a very good defense. Yes. You want to keep building that. I can't believe they'll let Johnson walk at corner. You know, we don't know that. Uh, yeah. Jervon Dexter has played really well as a rookie. John, they're not, they can't let Johnson. He's been in one of the best corners in the NFL. I agree. So, so they're yeah. and, and Tyreek Stevenson, who was one of my favorite corners yeah. coming out in this past draft, you know, he's really played well. Smith, the rookie from Minnesota, has stepped in and played well. Um, you know, we know they spent a lot on linebackers, good players. Um, you know, this is a defense that will likely continue to get better. Okay. So now you keep building your old line, which is not bad, by the way. You know, yeah. Herbert, I think, in the context of playing with Fields, can be your running back. Maybe you get another one, but you know he's he's pretty good. Um, so now you need more receivers. You definitely want more depth on your O line for sure. But you can do all this in the draft. So if if Fields is playing with a defense that's top ten, top six in the league, and with his dynamic ability, where you don't need you know Christian McCaffrey as your runner because sure. Fields gives you the run game element and forces defenses to play a certain way, and his playmaking ability is electric. You know, do you want to start over? Well. It, my notes on this after I, I went back and rewatched Fields this morning uh, against the Falcons, both positive and negative plays for the context of our discussion. He still has disconcerting moments with timing and, ac- timing and accuracy. You'd like to see him throw with more of a comfortable sense of the timing of the down. Quite a few throws to be made against the Falcons where guys were schemed open, like open, and Fields didn't turn the ball loose in time. This is the end of his third season, so I don't know how much you can correct right. or how that is just what he is. Well, do you have specific plays? Because yes. I, I felt there was one play that that kind of crystallized the issue. I was, if Fields. I had hair, I would have been pulling it out. 8.23 left in the third quarter. Fields had Tyler Scott wide open on a stack release crosser against Atlanta's cover three. Falcons sent a safety blitz with Jesse Bates the third. Bears pick it up. That's a clean pocket. And it's one of those throw it, throw it, throw it moments. Fields waits until Scott crosses the field, and then he overthrows Scott. And that's the kind of stuff that will just drive you crazy. But he also made some really good throws. Thirty. Well, here's here's the OMG part: the 32-yard pass to DJ Moore with 2:15 left in the first quarter on third and seven. It's the kind of play that gives you hope. You, you want to hang on to this guy because Moore got open to Fields' backside on a switch release. Cornerback AJ Terrell followed Moore from the slot, and Fields made a perfect throw. I mean, Moore just went like this, you know, over his yep. head. Boom! He could not have. It's the cliche. He could not have handed it to him any better. So yep. that's the stuff where you go, if we can just build on that, you know. Yeah, so I mean, and, and the thing is he doesn't turn it over. That, see, that's oh. the other thing. If you have a good defense, okay, and, and um, you know, as we said with all these other things that hopefully you can improve if you, if you trade number one and get all these draft picks, you know, 
do you, again, I'm not taking a side here because I'm not in the building. So I don't know Justin Fields. All I'm saying is, do you want to start over? Because say what you want. You know, you know how people start talking about these college quarterbacks. They talk about all of them like they're Hall of Famers the second they step into an NFL locker room. You know, and, and it doesn't happen that way. So, you know, do you want to start over? That's what you got to decide. Well, I mean, whoever you like. I mean, I'm watching Michael Penix. I've been watching him all year because I'm up here. Uh, you know, make these ridiculous throws, NFL throws. He's tw- he's going to be 24. He's got two ACLs. I mean, you know, two torn ACLs. Everyone has two ACLs, hopefully. Um, but you know, these guys all have dings, even if you don't think they do. Right. So you know, we'll see. It's, yeah. it's not. It's not. It's not easy. It's not easy. No. Well, Greg, you are a rare ding-proof prospect, five-star all the way. Thanks, as always, for your wisdom and insight. We'll be talking more X's and O's for the playoffs, baby, next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.